My name is David Birnbaum. Welcome to The Safe Space. Today, my guest is Kevin Lau. Kevin is a friend from the University of Waterloo who, in my estimation, is the most plugged into Silicon Valley out of anyone I know. He's worked at multiple companies there, big and startup, and he really seems to understand that ecosystem. I asked him about the bro culture and whether or not that's accurate, and also why we seem to have this negative view of Silicon Valley as such in many places. Whereas it seems like, you know, this should be a beacon where we should really learn about the success of Silicon Valley. We also get into how an individual can try and find a company that is the right fit for them because there are so many varied cultures at different organizations. I think it's a really interesting interview and I hope to be able to have Kevin on more to discuss some of these specific lessons he's learned and that we all can learn from Silicon Valley. As always, please subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcasting app and consider supporting the show at thesafespace.ca. Hey, Kevin, how's it going? Good. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. I, I, I appreciate you coming on to talk to me. I think this will be an interesting conversation. I don't know where it'll go. Likewise. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to talk to you about what I'd call, I suppose, both startup and startup bro culture, because out of anyone I know, you're the one who's been seemingly most plugged into the tech scene as such. You know, we both went to the University of Waterloo. There's a lot of tech culture there, startup culture there. And while you're not someone I would consider a startup bro, you definitely seem the most plugged into that ecosystem. So I want to start by hearing a bit about how you view yourself in that ecosystem, and then we can talk about, you know, the tech culture as such. Yeah, I mean, have definitely been involved in startups, kind of like even before, before university. Like I was kind of dabbling with like starting my own things, even though I guess back when I was in high school, we didn't really have this like really sexy term of oh, I have a startup. It was more of just like, you right. know, I'm. I'm a high school student and, you know, I can run paper routes for minimum wage or I can like maybe like find other smart ways to make side income. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I had a couple of little, little ventures kind of like that when I was in high school. Um, and that kind of, that trend kind of really continued um, going into university as well, where, you know, I just became introduced to tech first and foremost. Um, and then shortly afterwards, the, the big startup culture kind of within Waterloo. And then kind of inevit- inevitably you encounter some form of the, the startup bro culture mm-hmm. um, along the way. And there's different ways to characterize it, I guess. Um, there's definitely one type of startup bro that is just really enamored by the concept and idea of having a startup and doing a startup um, yeah. almost for the sake of it. Um, and then I would say there's, the other big bucket is just a bro who happens to also be like either a founder or like working at a startup. Um, yeah, I've seen both variants um, and it's definitely interesting. So we can, we can dig in there. Yeah. Cause to me, like two, my mind already splits in two directions because you know, the, the few friends I had that I knew worked at startups, it sounded like they worked at a frat, right? It was like drinking and having a good time. And like, there's something to be said, work hard, play hard. And like, that's what I did in university. And it seemed like that's what continued. Um, and so I'm wondering if you know of that experience and, and why that's a thing at companies, but then also 
like there is something to be said about the camaraderie of a fraternity, let's say. And if you're really, if people are working 15 hours a day trying to grind something out, I think there is value in that real camaraderie, but it's also kind of vilified now. And, and you know, there's ideas it's too masculine, it's not welcoming for some people. So, you know, do those two go together? And, and yeah, I don't know if you want to take one or the other. Um, I think, I mean, I think for me, I think your observations are, are pretty right. Uh, mostly at the end of the day, I just think of this as like, I guess, people being people. Um, and I think the nuances are, are being, are being aware of when, like, you know, like you were mentioning when, like, um, if the team culture kind of leans a certain way and someone else doesn't necessarily fit into that, um, I think that's when you want to be conscious about, I guess, making an effort to like not feel super exclusionary. Um, but I do think that most of it, when I think about it, it does just come back to like humanistic tendencies. We like people who are like ourselves. Um, there's like, you know, a concept where like culture is really set at the top Like the people who start the company are really kind of set the culture, um, and that manifests right. in like how they approach things, like how they like to spend their time, like what they do for fun, like that, you know, it just, it tends to, it tends to snowball. I'd say mm-hmm. generally around like the eight to maybe 15 person mark, um, is where you like the, those, those core group, I guess that core core group of people is really what defines the culture. Um, and so, yeah, and then startups are so different. They're basically as, as varied as like, you know, as people, as the people themselves, right. Kind of based off of that line of thinking. So I'd say there's a big spectrum of how startup cultures are kind of like. And so within that, definitely there's, um, there's manifestations of that. Right. And then like you were saying before as well, like it startups definitely lend themselves to work hard, play hard. Um, and so if you just happen to have a lot of folks on the team who like, that's their like version of it, where they like to just grind, um, and work out really hard. And their idea of like, you know, bonding, de-stressing is like to go out and like, you know, go do pub crawls or something. Um, that's kind of their thing. And then from there, it's kind of like almost each their own, um, as to like, you know, whether or not you like select into that kind of group and whether or not you kind of vibe with it. Um, I think the unfortunate situations happen when like you have, you find someone who like really appreciates the, like the company itself and for what it's doing, but then like, doesn't really vibe with the people. I feel like that's where the, the classic cases of like people being disappointed come from because yeah, all things aside, they would love to, but then they're just not really vibing with the people the way that they would like. Right. And, and is it possible to separate that out though? Cause it's kind of like, you know, who am I to say, oh, I would work for Lyft, but I don't like their culture. So there's something wrong with them. Right. Like, I feel like that's the narrative we hear. And that's also like, you're saying there's all sorts of startups, but I still have the only image of startup in my mind and not even startup now, even like mega companies Mm. that were startups. um, It's still like a bro mindset. Like that's how I paint them. And I feel like that's how the culture paints them. You know, are we just looking at it wrong? Is it just the same phenomenon as like the news generally? We just only see the kind of the the worst stuff that comes to the top. I mean, I think it's, probably a combination um from a news like news worthy lens like you know things that generate clicks are generally the things that are controversial the things that are you know newsworthy almost by definition mm-hmm. you're it's not much of a story to say oh look this company is so healthy and everyone's doing great it's like 
okay, what's the story, right? Um, so there's a bit of that for sure. And I'm sure like, I guess as tech and startup culture become more and more mainstream, um, that kind of stuff definitely tends to be the, the more interesting angle. Um, but yeah, in my experience, there's a, there's a, there's a wide, there's a wide variety, um, of startup cultures. And I guess as someone who's worked at a bunch of companies and interviewed at even more startups, um, I've got to see this kind of in person, which is, which is kind of good. I guess, nice to have that, that perspective. Um, your earlier question about, I guess, like, I guess, like, it's almost kind of like who is, who, who should be, I guess, feel, who should be like, I guess, responsible um, for like, I don't fit into this culture, right? Is it the, the company's problem or is it my problem? Um, that's a tough one for sure. I think at the end of the day, it's kind of just almost a bit of both. The company should care because if they become exclusionary to a certain, I guess, disposition or, or like a type of individual or that they only start to attract a certain type of individual, um, we kind of know that like that is probably not good for the long-term success of the company because like mm-hmm. innovation kind of thrives on this like constant back and forth of communication. And so if you're just kind of in your own little echo chamber, that probably actually sets you up for not long-term success. Um, so that's kind of like a more strategic reason why like companies, I think today, and we, we've kind of seen um, companies try to do this in tech um, increasingly um, to be more inclusive that way. Um, yeah. And then I guess the other side of it. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess this is why companies talk about fit so much because it's not, I, I don't think a company would want you to forcibly change yourself to fit in any way. Um, Cause you probably don't do your best work when you're not being your true self. Right. Mm. So some of it is also just kind of like an unfortunate circumstantial thing. And there's a degree to that. Right. Um, I guess where it gets tricky is in situations where like employees feel like they don't have a choice, right? For example, like if you're someone who, I don't know, is like pretty early in your career and it's not like you have like a stack ton of offers, right? And so like, you know, you can imagine situations where you only have one offer from one company. um, And so you kind of feel like you're stuck. um, And then, but even if you don't like certain parts of the culture, right? Those are the kind of the most unfortunate kind of cases. Um, But yeah, that was a long rant. No, I mean, I think that makes sense. And it obviously is both for me. Yeah, it, it is unfortunate that someone feels stuck, but I suppose like they're never really stuck. They don't have to work for any company they don't want to. But I definitely think from the company's perspective, it's a terrible thing to have like, yeah, what is it like a, a homogeneous uh, culture or whatever, right? And then you only have one thing, you're only serving your own uh, people and stuff. I just think that's not good long-term and and those companies will fail long-term. It just seems like people don't get that we're still at short-term for a lot of these companies, right? It's like, like, you know, 15 years, 20 years, and yeah, they're billion-dollar companies or whatever, but that's still short-term and, and we haven't actually seen long, like what will happen to tech companies if they don't adapt. And I mean, I think it's good that it's top of people's minds generally. I'm interested though, you know, as someone who's worked for, I, I believe at least a handful of different companies and interviewed for many more, what do you look for? Um, you know, because 
there are some, I guess, landmines to, to avoid because you could end up at a company at a startup that you think looks good and then it's one of these ones that maybe you don't want to work for because it seems like some people get really caught off guard almost. Like they walk into a company and they're like, whoa, this is the culture. So what's your experience been like that and what do you look for in, a, in an employer? Yeah, definitely. I'm, I mean, I think one caveat that's starting to arise is this kind of this sense of like work-life balance. Um, at earlier companies, that line tends to be a little blurred just because the demands are, are so great. Like startups basically spend every day like trying to survive. Mm. Um, so what you tend to see is kind of a, a big skew towards like large number of work hours um, such that like the lines really start to blur. Um, as I worked across like, I guess, a spectrum of sizes of companies, one thing that I guess is good for larger companies is that there, there tends to be more of an affordance for work-life balance. Um, which is good in the sense that you can compartmentalize a little bit more. So even if like, say you don't like necessarily, you know, you're not like best friends with all your coworkers, that's fine because you also have a life. Um, so like, you're not also dependent on them for your emotional needs. And it's not like those things aren't being met that like, you can have other outlets essentially. Um, so you can like more focus on your craft at work and then like you have your actual life otherwise. Um, I think that's also worth calling out as to why it's potentially a little more critical um, at, at smaller companies. Um, in terms of what I look for now in, in, in job search, it's mostly, well, I guess it kind of depends like to each their own. Like I, I would think that most people, one of their top priorities is, is learning and growth. Um, I think within that I look for in terms of people and culture is kind of a manager and coworkers that I guess, Nurture is, a, I think, a good word for it. Um, yeah, there's and, th and there's a lot of things that go into that. It's like people who are like willing to trust, people who are like open to to coaching and to training, giving you space um, and real ownership. Um, I think for me, that's kind of the those are the real predicates. I think of any type of good working functional relationship. One of my managers once told me, like, you don't have to like be best friends with the people you work with, um, but you need to all, you need to all trust each other. Um, and that's kind of the, the fundamental thing that I think I would say, yeah, top of mind, almost universally. Yeah. And, and that kind of brings to mind for me, the, you're also in addition to, in my mind, being the, the tech guy, you're the networking guy, right? And it seems like, you know, that's a good first step in, tor in terms of trusting a company, trusting an organization and the people in it. It's like, if I get connected, then I know there's shared values through a peer and stuff. I'm wondering like, are like, is there readily available guidance like this? Because it seems, you know, when I was a student, everyone was swimming uh, on their own. Like there wasn't anywhere to know. And like, like, did you figure out a lot of this stuff on your own? Are there resources for people or do we need like a Kevin Lau show where you can mentor people and help them like understand this stuff? Because, you know, 1920, looking for your first tech job, everyone's trying to go to the Valley and stuff. Um, how, how do people learn to navigate this? Because like you can almost get blinded by the sexiness of certain companies and not pay attention to any of the other important stuff. Oh, definitely. I mean, that's, that could definitely be like a whole thing in and of itself. Um, I mean, I guess by, by this, you're, you're referring to how you assess like cultural compatibility. Yeah. And how, and how to like people, I think, I mean, it's, that's a question broader than just, tech right but i feel like at least in my experience 
people have a harder time being objective assessing some of these tech jobs, especially like the the big companies. Everyone wants to work for them, no matter what, if it syncs up with their values and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's that, it's a it's a bit of a broader issue. But have you found resources that help helped you or help others learn how to think about these these things properly? Because for me, like most people out of university, they just took a job, right? They didn't think much about it. And now maybe they're still there. And yeah, I don't know how to, what guidance might be valuable or if there's resources out there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the issue is there's, there tends to be like a small set of things that are, are pretty universal. Um, but from there, it kind of gets varied. Um, and I would say the biggest determinant of that is risk tolerance um to to the degree that people are willing to i guess go out on a limb um and then we can think about risk in many different ways right there's like financial risk there's career risk there's people risk um people have different tolerances for each different things i guess and so there's it's hard to give kind of a universal answer in so much as you want to really just explain the the principles um kind of along each of those vectors um i think I think information for those things kind of exists as general career advice kind of in the internet somewhere. Um, I've definitely learned most of this from just talking to a ton of people, um, people around my level, people like five years more senior, 10 years more senior than me. And, and that's how I've kind of gotten this perspective um, on like, you know, in essentially throughout the process, like how do you assess a company's culture? How do you like try and understand like, you know, is this person a good manager? Are they just kind of saying these things? Are they, are they like just kind of fronting in the interview because they want me to sign kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Um, different ways to suss it out. And it's usually kind of just a, a, com- a combination of talking to people. Network really helps on, on these things. Um, especially because like as, as you go to larger companies, what you'll find is that microcultures are a thing, right? Um, there's like the overall like umbrella culture, but then like within each like team, within each org, there become these like pockets of subcultures, um, which I think sometimes people miss when they talk, when they like talk about, oh, like what is the culture like at X company? And it's like, well, if the company is like 10,000 people, it's like, it's really hard to say. Um, And the only answer you can really give is it depends. Um, And people have asked me this before because I currently work at Uber and like, we have a bad kind of track record around this. We had to kind of really invest in cleaning house like over the last couple of years since, since 2017. Um, and still to this day, people ask me like, what is the culture like? And I really struggle kind of giving a concrete answer. And the most I can say, and this is true, is that in my experience, I have personally not experienced anything bad. And I've not heard from anyone that I know at the company that they have experienced anything bad. Um, but it's kind of like a necessary versus sufficient conditions kind of thing. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of hard. It's kind of always a risk. And I think the process is just like you de-risking to the best of your ability, um, during, I guess, your job selection interview process relative to your own set of, of goals, um, and what you want out of your job and what your, your risk tolerance is broadly speaking. Yeah, I, that makes a lot of sense. And, and yeah, I suppose there's no golden ticket or whatever, like this is the answer for it all. Um, you know, playing off of, yeah, so Uber is a big company. It was in the news and, and we won't dive into the specifics of, of that company, but it makes me think of kind of the meta culture of Silicon Valley as such, right? So you often hear of like 
know, I started by saying the startup culture, as, as you're saying, well, within one 10,000 person company, there's many cultures. And here I am saying, yeah, but I've heard there's one Silicon Valley culture, right? And like my personal experience, I spent one week in San Francisco, couldn't stand it because <laughs> there was guys talking about how like their laundry app was going to change the world and no one will ever do their own laundry again. And it was like, that's, it's just so absurd, <laughs> right? And so yeah, it, has that shifted? This was six years ago, I think, that I was there. And obviously I was with specific people, but it almost felt like it validated everything I'd heard about the Valley as such. San Francisco lives in a different universe. And like, has, is that at all accurate? Is there a different ethos, a different ether? And, and has it been shifting? I think there is. Um, it definitely shifts, but the nature of it, for the most part, is similar. There's kind of a broad debate right now as to, like, since COVID happened, what actually will happen to Silicon Valley? Um, because the real magic of Silicon Valley was really just kind of the density of, like, people who are all entrepreneurial, that are creative, and, like, proximity to funding and network and stuff. And now because of COVID, like there's been a mass exodus out of San Francisco. So it's kind of a big meta question of like, okay, what happens now that like that, that I guess co-location effect is no longer a thing. Mm -hmm. um, but to answer your question, yeah, it definitely is. There's, um, there was a good, I forgot the name of the, the documentary now, but there was a documentary about um, Theranos um, that I watched, I think last year. Um, and there was a great quote in there where at some point somebody was like, you know, there to a certain degree in Silicon Valley, like everyone is kind of like, you kind of have to pitch the dream. Like in order to innovate, you kind of have to like see into the future and you're like, you have to a certain degree be like, imagine a different future that doesn't yet exist, which kind of means that by definition in the present, you're kind of, you're dreaming and you're almost kind of lying to people a little bit. Cause you're like, we are here and I think we could be over there and like, that is that is going to happen, but you don't know that. Um, and it's kind of this weird thing where you the only way to get there though is to make these claims and to make and to try and make that jump. Um, and so I guess like in so much as Silicon Valley is able to be successful is actually it's because there is this kind of culture. Um, the weird thing is you'll often experience this where like some people take that concept in a totally seemingly crazy direction, right? Yeah. Um, but again, it's this whole thing of it's only, it's only crazy until it works and it's a thing. And then now you're like, oh, I, no one does laundry anymore. What's laundry? You know, right. it's like. Yeah. And but so if you had to and I know you can't give me an actual answer, but if you had to guess what's the breakdown of like real dreamers, because, you know, I'm I think I'm I think I'm building a multi-billion dollar company and I have 40 viewers after three years of work. So like I totally get. <laughs> like that thing, right? Yeah. Uh, but to me, that's different than, yeah, this, I, there's a weirder one than the laundry app I heard actually, but like, um, you know, there are definitely, you can tell when people are stuck in the dream, right? And it makes me think of Dragon's Den, Shark Tank, people who just, like their business makes no sense at all, but they, they believe it and they'll spend 50 years on it or whatever. Is, is there a breakdown? And is there something to be said that like, it's a mind virus almost like people get so caught up in the fact that you have to sell it. You have to dream to get ahead. Like an investor is not interested in someone who's like, oh, well, maybe it will work. And they almost like, you know, they, they put the cart before the horse, so to speak. Yeah, there's definitely a range. Um, there's definitely a range. 
<laughs> I think, but it also kind of really depends. There's some that are like, you know, there's kind of, I guess a, a set of, I guess, principles that you learn, like in the, in the Valley, like talking to entrepreneurial people um, that kind of are, I guess the established like proper way of doing it that optimize your chances of success. Um, and it's usually built around like rigorous experimentation. Um, cause you don't know. And so you only, all you have is kind of an intuition and you're like, this idea probably works. And so, you know, the typical way of doing it is you just decompose that into like the, the fundamental hypotheses that you need to verify. Do people want this? Is this like the solution that they need? And then you just kind of incrementally test until like, Oh, we have, a bunch of a bunch of tests succeeded, and now oh, it's something's happening. Um, there's kind of that approach, um, but that's also definitely not like a how you do everything. If there was kind of a methodical, systematic approach to this, like there would be no issues here. Um, so yeah, there's definitely a spectrum, and I think you always gonna you're always gonna have to tolerate the crazies, and I think we tolerate the crazies because um, likely the next like moonshot comes from someone who we think are, is crazy. And like, yeah, yeah. And it's kind of like one interesting quote that I came across a couple of weeks ago was a sense of like, in Silicon Valley, people are willing to like, I guess, entertain these like totally insane conversations is because there's very limited downside to doing it. Um, and the potential upside is very large. So I think there are, there are, those people will always be around. And for, to a certain degree, everyone will always kind of try to encourage them even. Um, which might even, which might, which probably makes them last around even longer. Right. Um, but yeah, it's always going to be, I think, a necessary evil. To me, it almost seems like at this point, there's like billionaires in Silicon Valley that this is just how they gamble, right? Like, yeah, you know, I have a billion dollars. I don't need to go play roulette. I'm going to find yeah. 10 entrepreneurs, bet on them, and maybe one will double my money or whatever. And that's all you need, yeah. The whole board. Exactly. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering, like, to me, it still seems like I know there's a lot of stuff out there of people talking about startups, talking about Silicon Valley, mm -hmm. but it still all seems like for the Valley, let's say. It, it all seems like very much of, of this ecosystem for this ecosystem. Am I accurate in that assessment? Because I think there's so many important things that the entire world needs to learn. Every industry, every realm of society should be learning from Silicon Valley, but it doesn't seem to happen. And the, you know, when I hear about it as a layman, it's always in a negative light, yet it has changed the world. Am I right in that assessment? Or do you have like, you're, you know, you're on the other side of the, the looking glass or whatever it is. Uh, what, what's your experience of that? Like, you know, the, 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 the normals talking to the people in the Valley. I think, I think two things. Um, one, definitely tech is increasingly vilified. Um, I mean, we see it kind of at all kind of layers, right? At the, the very bottom, like I had a, I had a friend who um, anecdotally like went to go see the doctor once and the, the doctor was literally chewing her out for being a techie. And then she was like, you are like, you guys are, you people are the reason like why like SF is like, gone to the gutter basically right and like to a certain degree like yeah there's been like an extreme amount of gentrification um since kind of the tech boom and over the last maybe like 10 to 20 years and people have definitely gotten pushed out 
um, and stuff. And, and some of the locals are really not happy about that. Um, yeah. And I've met some of these people too, who like have these kind of opinions about tech, which I think is understandable. Um, it's kind of like almost overnight, the city that they grew up in, like all of a sudden, like people have to move out and all these like random people from all over the place are moving in and like making a ton of money. And then the, the disparity, like the, the gap just keeps growing. Um, so there's that. And then obviously like, you know, I feel like there's like antitrust hearings with, with like tech CEOs, like every couple of months now or something with the government, like extreme scrutiny. So that's definitely, definitely a thing. Um, and then to your other point, yeah, I think Silicon Valley is definitely in its own little bubble. Um, I guess the thing is like another issue with kind of the, the whole co-location thing is that like your kind of ideas and intuitions are you are very shaped by your kind of lived experiences to a certain degree. Um, and so if you spend your entire life kind of in the Valley, it's very easy to just be like, like your conversations day to day are with people who kind of, you know, are, are techies. And that's kind of like where your entire headspace is at. And so, yeah, it's also very possible for like, it just to seem like a totally different world sometimes when you meet local people who are just super in it. And, and so how do we help the world learn from these people and, and actually not like both be receptive, but get the get the actual, like, get oil on it, get it flowing or whatever to make terrible analogies. Because um, <laughs> I think it's so important. And I very much like, you know, I was on the periphery of it as a Waterloo student, and I turned away from engineering and all that stuff. But I'm, I'm interested in it. But I very much want to kind of, I want to try and build that bridge, because I think it's so important. And I have no idea how to start. <laughs> so, so what do you think? I think, well, I mean, it depends on what we're talking about specifically in terms of, I guess, things that things to learn. Um, even when I was at Waterloo, there's, and this is kind of an ongoing conversation, like for decades is like this question of like, why is there only one Silicon Valley? How can we kind of recreate that atmosphere? Right. Um, and it seems like the only reason Silicon Valley was birthed was kind of like a series of like serendipitous kind of things that all happened um for it in terms of like you know like a lot of people point to the fact that there's there's good weather there that's kind of like a natural attractor for people um and then over time like the 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 key three components right for why it works is there's like a high concentration of smart people um there's a large concentration of wealth um and you have kind of this natural kind of pairing of like like VC investor money and then like really strong universities. Um, and then I guess also ambitious people. And that's that, that kind of like positive feedback. We just like put all, all those things kind of in like the same general area and you just kind of let it resonate. Um, and then over the period of like, you know, a few decades, like, boom, this is the ecosystem that kind of, kind of happened. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, that was a very high level kind of summary, but that's basically it. And then from that, what you're able to, what you're able to, I guess now produce is a, an, a group of people who have relative to like the rest of the world, kind of an, an unparalleled tolerance for risk. Um, and I do think that that's kind of one of the biggest differentiators. Um, yeah. Having talked to, and this is across the board, like in terms of like how many people are willing to be entrepreneurs, like, and, and to what kind of degree are you willing to bet on yourself and your ideas? That's kind of the, from the operator side. 
And then also on the investor side, like how willing are you to like bet on someone who's super early stages in their company? Um, no real like, you know, financials to look at, like, you know, traditional investing, value investing, you know, public companies, like, you know, tons of diligence is done, like to understand the financials and like how the company works and like projections and, and market analysis, et cetera, et cetera. Um, when your company is like 10 people, you don't have anything like that, right? So it's like none of your traditional kind of risk assessment tools work. And so like in that environment, how do you do decision-making? Um, and what you tend to see is like in the Valley, people are kind of down for that. They're like, yeah, that's fine. You know, have a couple mil here, go start your thing. And then hopefully it works out. Um, and then there's a lot of specifics around like how investors are more founder friendly or can be more founder friendly in terms of like, you know, what they like, how they structure the incentives, um, what they require of the company uh, in terms of like, I guess, financial history and like how much ownership they take, which is mostly a representation of how much risk they're willing, what, what their risk appetite is. Right. Um, and there's really no place like it um, anywhere else in the world. Um, to the best of my knowledge, definitely not kind of um, in Canada to my, to my experience. I've like peripherally kind of met folks who are kind of in the industry and like, it's actually very obvious. I think even if you look at like their investment strategies, like if you go to some of the, the VC firms up in, up in, up in Canada here and you just like look at their websites, they literally will just say very openly that like, you know, in order to invest, you need to have like, and in order for us to put money in you, there's like a minimum. You have to like have this much revenue already, like this far into your business. Um, and so it's, it's tough. Mm. And so now what, what do you love most about it? Cause you're, like I said, you're the most plugged in I know. And, and I mean, I see there's value in it, but it, it's not that attractive to me. And, and so I'm interested. Yeah. What, what about it gets you? I mean, I think I would say it's mostly energy, um, energy and the ideas like I've the, and this is not unique, right? It's just the, the unique part is the density of it. Like you're able to just find a, a ton of people who are interested in working on things and like creating things and like, you know, aggressively trying to become like better in like their lives and their career. And that, that, that density of the people with that mindset who just like want to work hard while they're young and like hustle and like, you know, build a thing from scratch. Um, Cause like in practice, what it looks like is most successful entrepreneurs. Like it's like they're usually their fourth or fifth venture that really takes off. And that's the one that they're known about. But a lot of the times common trend, like, you know, they'll have like several failed starts before that. Right. So what that, that is indicative of is that what you really just have to do is like throw a lot of time, effort, into it and just like it's like about repetitions um and being smarter about it over time and that process also generally helps when you're able to have a community around you um that is kind of like-minded and, and going towards similar goals and so yeah for me it definitely comes back to the people um i think that's most people most most people i've talked to that's kind of what they'll tell you is why they like being in san francisco and, and the bay so much um as a city, there's like objectively are better cities. Toronto, for example, is a fantastic city. Yeah. Um, if you look at it just at face value, like, yeah, I, we already have it really good. Like why move? Um, but yeah, it's for better or for worse, the people that keep me there. 
Okay, cool. I, I can definitely appreciate that. And um, so now my last question is, like, is do you have a pitch? Is there anything you could tell someone on top of that or any last thoughts, I suppose, for people who still aren't quite sold on even the value or, you know, they're still just confused by everything we've talked about, maybe. Um, what do you have to say to, to them about this world that we don't quite understand? Ooh, that's a loaded question. I think, I think my thought is always, and I mean, I guess I'm very biased in saying this because I'm, I'm still kind of way deep into it, is, is kind of like, give it a shot. I think it become, it'll become very obvious within like the span of a year or two, like whether or not like you're getting a lot of value out of being in, in, in that area and being surrounded by those people. Um, you definitely have to be a certain type of person to get value out of it. Like it's very expensive. Like the city's not the greatest. Like there's definitely trade-offs to be made here. Um, if you're the type of person that really wants to like, you know, first I think it pays if you're like someone who really cares about, I guess, growing their career and growing their skill set. Um, if you're entrepreneurial, you'll definitely be able to find pockets of people who are like-minded as you. Um, and if you find that group, like a good, I guess, tribe of people that are able to help you grow and, and do your thing in a more effective and fast way, I think that's what really will hook you in. Um, and if not, then that's totally fine as well. I don't think it's necessarily better or worse. It's just like, what type of person are you and like, you know, what's going to make you happy at the end of the day? Um, usually relative to your, your values and your priorities. So I don't think it's for everyone because of that. Um, but yeah, I would just say like you can speculate or you can give it a shot and like that, that'll just prove it to yourself whether or not it works or, or whether it doesn't for you. Cool. Well, thanks. I appreciate this. This was, it was interesting and, and you, you have me enticed a little bit actually. Really? Okay. <laughs> Uh, no, Dude, give it a shot. I mean, now is not a good time. Now is not a good time. But at some point, you should just give it a shot. There's gonna be you're gonna meet a lot of. Uh, I, although I guess like your your thoughts are, are more media focused. Um, yeah. so prob it's cool also because that stuff is not too far from LA. Like that's also a thing you could do as well. Um, but yeah, if you walk around telling people you're trying to start like a new media company, I think a lot of people would get very excited. And I don't know to what degree. Currently, the people around you get excited when you tell them about this project you're working on, this vision that you have. Um, but yeah, I can tell you, like, for better or for worse, one of the, the top kind of topics at parties in SF is what are you working on? It's like, okay. what's, your, what, what's your side hustle? What's your side thing? And that's, some, that's something that, like, people that's resonate a about. very enticing thing because I've been struggling to create my own community of people who that's what they talk about because that's what I want to talk about. I just came up with two new business ideas this past week, right? Like, yeah, that kind of thing. So very cool. Well, we'll definitely have to dive further into this sometime because it's, I think it's important to, to get this stuff out there. And, and you know, I, I ignore the rest of the internet, so I have to do it myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a lot to unpack, but happy to happy to talk more. Thanks, man. Yeah, for sure.